Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion with our subject being soul today. And we are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we're very grateful that you spending time to join us this morning. And we will start with our morning prayer. Good morning. I'm reading from Mrs. Eddy's prayer, which was given at the Massachusetts Metaphysical College. This prayer can be found also on page 171 of the Green Book, which is Mary Baker Eddy's Six Days of Revelation, compiled by Richard Oakes. Oh my God, I offer as a consecrated gift upon thine altar a heart dedicated to thy service, lips speaking only words of charity, love, and truth, thoughts striving to be only the true thoughts of the mind of God. Help me to endure unto the end, strong in the faith, powerful in the truth, all the influence that I can bring to bear or the force of tongue or pen that is mine, I offer in thy service. May heaven help, consecrate, and accept. Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you. I love that. All right, our watching point. Watch number 159. Watch lest you believe that your work is to gain a perfect sense of yourself in order to get into the kingdom of heaven, rather than to perfect your sense of yourself as God's child, in order that you may perfect your idea of all mankind, which reveals the kingdom of heaven here and now. We are not preparing to go to heaven. Heaven is within and it will appear without in proportion as we realize this grand verity." End quote. That is a, a wonderful watching point for this week. Thank you very much. It's Karen that finds these. To me, that summarizes the lesson. Um, any, any comments on this? I love this watch. Yes. I printed it. <laughs> I just keep you know, it's just for mankind. It's for us, for mankind. Thank you. Yeah. And isn't there one of our calendar quotes recently? That, or maybe I read it somewhere that uh, you you find the the more you the more you learn to love others, the more happy you will be, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, and this lesson on soul, bringing out heaven, and what is heaven, yes, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Um, I, the reign of soul. Yeah, and I, I loved, because I don't think I've ever noticed it before, but in Deuteronomy 11, it, it lists many things, you know, that we need to do in order to have that reign of heaven. Um, 
Don't be deceived and turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Um, and make sure that uh, God's words are in your heart and in your soul. Bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And this is this is what we do day in and day out, studying, praying, testifying, Bible study, roundtable. Teach them to your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest in thy way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. As I quote Linda, make every moment a Sunday school teaching moment. Write them on the posts of thine house and upon thine gates. Make sure your home is filled with the presence and power of God. The atmosphere of soul is one of the definitions of heaven in the lesson. And then your days will be multiplied in the days of your children as the days of heaven upon the earth as the days of heaven upon the earth. This is how we bring heaven to earth. And, and as we talk about every week now, just about, as we do this, ushering in the millennium, the reign of Christ, we bring it first to our own souls, our own home, our own church, our nation, our world, knowing it's true for everyone. And anything that tells us it is not true is an illusion. Some of us went to the theater and watched um, The Manchurian Candidate this week, <laughs> deliberately so, because it, it brings out this idea of hypnotism, mesmerism, illusion. And... If you're not, if you don't have these laws and everything in your soul, in your being, written on your forehead, you can be subject to it. Because it is, it is raging everywhere. Mesmerism, hypnotism, probably it always has been. That's the nature of the human mind. So, and as we've talked about the POWs, when they would be in prison, and this is what the Manchurian Candidate was about, they would be worked on to be brainwashed or hypnotized in the most extreme way. And so what would, what would those who knew how to deal with this do? Control thought. Thank you. Control thought. That is in the Ultimate Freedom, Ultimate Freedom by John Wyndham. A really wonderful book. Yes, which tells of his experience. He said, control thought he carved CT on the palm of his hand. And, and they're trained, even if you just hold on to the multiplication table, some concrete law and truth, you can't be mesmerized. So it's so important that we do this. And if we stay demesmerized and not impressed with the news reports or whatever else. Um, or we, other propaganda. Yeah. Then we can see clearly. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. <laughs> <laughs> we can see clearly. And, and in seeing clearly for ourselves, it will, it will purify and lift the atmosphere into that 
atmosphere of soul. So in the lesson, what is what is the definition of heaven? Harmony, the reign of spirit, government by divine principle, spirituality, bliss, the atmosphere of soul. Yes. So, and preceding that, it says, to reach heaven, the harmony of being, we must understand the divine principle of being. And we had very timely readings Wednesday night, because what, were, what was that on? What were they on? Principle. principle. Yeah, principle. Mm -hmm. And as I said, every every synonym, somewhere again, I don't know where she said it, but Mrs. Eddy said all the synonyms have to be intertwined with principle, which is law. Yeah, I guess someone asked her why there wasn't a, a lesson, a Sunday lesson with the subject principle. And her response was, well, every subject has principle in it. It's governed by principle. Yeah, I like that you brought out and one of the meanings was origin. It helps me to think of that, the divine origin. <laughs> so. Yeah, principle or origin. Well, and we certainly have been taught here about love without principle is what? Cake, little jellyfish. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a jellyfish. And and principle without love is a iceberg. iceberg. Yeah. So we have to have the combination, and that's true with all of these synonyms. It's a combination, but principle grounds it, gives it yes, the law, the, the divine law, the divine law, which is the basis of all creation. It's the basis of everything. And when we try, you know, you can try really hard to be very, very loving. And if you don't have principle with, with it, you will fall flat on your face. And I know I, I have tried. I just wanted to be <laughs> loving, you know. You don't want to be principled. You just want to be loving. We've all tried at times. Yeah. <laughs> Gilbert Carpenter, had, we have that article by him about the strength and the sweetness. Yes. Thank you. And then the same thing, too, or you get too dogmatic and you're going to do it this way. And this is what the Bible says. And this is how we do it. And and the hell with how anybody feels or thinks or and that's equally as bad. It has to be that combination. People get crucified from that. They do. They do. They do. So do we have any other comments on on this beautiful watching point. And we do thank you, Karen, for finding these each week. Well, I enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful to get ensconced in these truths of Carpenter. Like that, we heard, I've read that on Wednesdays, a woman in Me Mexico City, I guess, who's been translating them. And she's just, oh, loving it so much. Think of what Carpenter, he was just such a wealth of wisdom it's quite wonderful 500 of them goodness well he paid attention to what mrs eddie was doing in the year that he lived there didn't he yes and then he patiently 
waited and worked after that. I, I love that part of it. You know, the, it was like 25 years or something. Before he wrote it. Yeah. yeah. That's but amazing. He, amazing. Well, it, it was the leaven of truth working in him. And then finally, when he got the message, when he was ready and the world was ready, he got the message to write it down. And, and um, my understanding is he invited just a few people to his house often, and he would just start talking about his experiences with Mrs. Eddie in that one year he was there. And in, in those talks, all these books were written. Um, a lot of it was just done that way. Um, it, it reminds me of what John says about if they wrote everything that Jesus did, yeah. it would be more books. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. It's wonderful to even think of that. So, and also, I was I was grateful. I thought I would mention this. I The, the week we had the topic love and the greatest thing in the world. And I, I wasn't sure. Again, I'd heard where Mrs. Eddy said um, I, she didn't need to write a, a book on love because it was already written. And Carrie found it, the quote, and it was from a 1913 article written by Kate Kimball, who was um, Edward Kimball's wife. And I forget the title. We're going to have it in one of our liberators because we sent it to Carol. <laughs> and anyway, um, it begins with that saying, so she, obviously she or her husband heard Mrs. Eddy say that at some point. And that's how where it came from, and that's how it got recorded. So I was very grateful to find the source of that quote. So thank you, Carrie, and everyone else who digs into these things. I'm very grateful. All right. Do um, you want to read the golden text, please? The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. Thank you. And Linda, do you want to say anything? I know you wrote to that. Um, well, I just felt that I'm learning mercy here because it's about pity and uh, a, a new sense of love. And I felt like if you keep exposing yourself to all this negativity, you're not being very merciful to your soul. And if you're not merciful to yourself, you can't be merciful to others. And you just, I don't know, it's very hard to explain. It was more of a feeling I got. But I, I loved um, a quote from, it's called Wilmington's Bible at a Glance. And it says, quote, the overriding theme of this book, being Proverbs, is wisdom, which may be generally defined as seeing ourselves and our world through the eyes of God. This priceless gift thus becomes ours when we acknowledge and act upon the fact of God's presence in our lives and of his desire to exercise priority in our lives. Wisdom then seeks and provides our proper responses in all matters, including the domestic, the business, religious, and social world. End quote. Thank you. <clears throat> yes, again, it's a, the love for God and the love for our fellow beings, and which is brought out in this lesson in a few places. And Parthens wrote to that, about that on the forum, because he 
he brought out. And it's so important we are aware of and we study um, Revelation, especially what the letters to the churches, because they speak to us directly. And um, can I say one thing? Please do. About the golden text. Yes. I, I realize that a merciful man is a we're nothing without God and that's a and a merciful man is very a, also a humble person who realizes that I, I just think he doesn't know exactly how a certain situation a person got to the state but he he could see him getting through it and so he has a humble stand to say hey let me help you <laughs> that, that's what I get that's so beautiful, Greg. Thank that you. That is right. Well, and Mrs. Mrs. Eddie has a statement in the textbook that speaks to this uh, that comes to mind, where she says, love for God and man is the true incentive in both healing and teaching. Well, that was beautiful. Right. Thank you, Craig. Uh, thank you. Lawrence, did you no, add? I, I just feel that, you know, uh, it's, it, to be not not to be merciful is cruel and and unforgiving and not compassionate. Now, with with consciousness like that, how can you your soul yourself be even happy? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Well, it shows too. You know, you really haven't forgiven yourself, perhaps in many ways, if you feel so cold that you can't forgive others. And that's what this letter to the Ephesus is about, because um, it goes right along with what's been being said. Where um, I know your deeds, your toils, your patient endurance, and that you cannot tolerate those who are evil and have tested and critically appraised those who call themselves apostles and have, not, and have found them to be liars and imposters. So um, I guess... The Christ is commending them for that. But then it says, but I have this charge against you that you have left your first love. You have lost the depth of love that you first had for me. And um, Parthens is quoting the Amplified Version. So remember the heights from which you have fallen and repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, your <coughs> sinful behavior, Seek God's will and do the works you did at first when you first knew me. Otherwise, I will visit you and remove your lampstand, the church, and its impact from its place unless you have, unless you repent. So, they, again, these are things to be taken very seriously within ourselves as a church. When the church or when ourselves, we lose the love that we first had when we first came and, oh, it's so wonderful and exciting and you let your love grow cold and you become dogmatic, then what good is, what good is the church? If you don't, it's not our personal job to be the, the Christian science police. Right. <laughs> it's not our personal job. And I, I was thinking of that, you know, from the Bible, it talks about how because God first loved us, we know love. I think of the mercy that he has had on me to bring me here. 
I can't in turn be unmerciful to other people <laughs> and honor that. So, Thank you. Yeah, we have to have that tenderness within, and Craig said it so very beautifully. Um, and, you know, it's one of the reasons, I know we've mentioned this before, but the, the show, the, the Chosen, uh, about Christ Jesus, because it shows that in him. He sees beyond the picture and helps a person through the problem. So it's very touching, very humbling. All right, I wanted to because um, we have the 23rd Psalm in the responsive reading, and I do feel it goes along with all of that we've talked about, um, especially bringing heaven on earth. It's a very beloved psalm, isn't it? Um, Gary likes to tell that testimony, what, when you were a little boy and you... When I was very young, it was one of the few things that I remembered being taught in Sunday school. And uh, one day when I was, uh, I became very sick, um, I went inside and laid down and I just repeated to myself what I knew of the 23rd Psalm. And the beginning, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I felt that that meant to me that I, I would, I, sh I, I will not be wanting of any good thing, including my health. I just felt the presence of God, and I held to that. And within five minutes, I was up and going outside and playing again. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. When I was a little girl, uh, when I would get when I would get upset about something, we're having trouble hearing you. I'm not sure why. Um, start again. When. Uh, can you hear me now? That's much yes. better. Um, when I was a child growing up, whenever I got very upset or something, my mother would always uh, uh, read Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm to me. I remember her saying the Psalm 23 all the time. And it was very calming. Thank you. Yeah, I know... Um Jim from Arizona said he learned that when he was knee-high to a grasshopper. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing to teach your children, isn't it? That's, you know, passing it on to the generations. This may be some, when I came to this church, just to finish, I thought it was heaven. And whenever I went back to my own neighborhood, I would sing that or read the 23rd Psalm to myself because yeah, I, I knew they needed the love of God. And I would know that even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, that uh, God was there. And, you know, and I, I felt protected and I felt that if, if possible, I could pick somebody else up. So. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. Beautiful. It's bringing the heaven on earth everywhere we go. So I, it was interesting. This I found this a while ago. I know we've had some Bible studies on this um, beautiful psalm. But this is what Henry Ward Beecher wrote about it, um, the 23rd Psalm. Now, he was an American minister, social reformer, 
supported the abolition of slavery, and his sister was Harriet Beecher Stowe. We know of her, right? Sure, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uncle Tom's Cabin, yes. They were raised, they must have been raised in a good family because they all seem to be very... um, Principled. Yeah, (laughs) in in that respect, yes. So he writes about the Psalm 23. It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them, and ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master. It will go singing to your children and my children and to their children through all generations of time, nor will it fold its wings till the last pilgrim is safe and time ended. And then it shall fly back to the bosom of God whence it issued and sound on mingled with all those sounds of celestial joy which make heaven musical forever. Mm. But what a beautiful tribute to that psalm. And how true. How many, how many, says more than the sands by the sea have, have people been comforted by this beautiful psalm. And then I read, and this was something I'd been looking for. There's, There's been more than one of this. And I think one that I haven't been able to find might be, first I thought Parthens had sent it, but I can't find it in his things. Um, it might be in, an, in a journal article or something of someone who had some uh, something wrong with his leg that was seemed to be incurable. And he said by studying and repeating this, this 23rd Psalm, a long period of time he found healing and relief and then this is another commentary about a similar thing my use of this prayer a number of years ago I was very ill and discovered how extremely helpful this prayer can be even though I did not believe the prayer at first I simply repeated it 20 to 200 times a day It was an effort to change my mind away from total despair, negativity, and fear. One could say I brainwashed myself with it. At first, it was just a few words on a page. However, after about a year of doing this, I noticed that I was actually feeling the meaning and the sense of the prayer. I actually started to believe in and feel the message of hope love 
and healing that it contains. So even if the words do not ring true for you, or if it seems too good to be true, just repeating the words and thinking about them can help them to come alive for you. Now, he goes on about this prayer, and he, he uses a word called re retracing or something like that, but I, I will change it to more spiritual terms. What he is saying, and Mrs. Evans used to tell us this too, even if you don't believe something that you're reading, you, you still stay with it. You still repeat it to yourself, even though the words might sound hollow at first, because eventually they will kick in. They will kick in. Why? Because it's the truth. And what you are doing, you are replacing all, as he said, all those negativities, fears, doubts. You are replacing that with the truth. This is the renewing of your mind. And he goes into each verse, which we will as well, what he felt of it and how it, go, it went deep, deep, deep into his being, into his soul, if you will. Um, the Bible says that uh, take these, these truths, go into your inward parts. Sometimes we have things inside we don't even know are troubling us. We don't even know. That's why the verse, to God cleanse thou me of secret faults. So, when you take these truths in, even if, if at first you don't think you understand, or maybe even resist them, they'll do their work. They'll go deep. So I'm saying, if you have a problem that you think, you know, you just can't overcome, well, maybe work with this. <laughs> take, take that 23rd Psalm. It worked for so many people. Keep saying it, repeating it. Realize those truths. Let them go in the inward parts. Let them, remember last week or the week before we talked about the onion peel, you know, that you have to go past all those. All the layers. All the layers of doubt and fear and childhood memories or whatever it is that seems to have you in bondage in some way. Let the truths go deep, deep, deep. Peel away those layers. And this psalm fulfills a purpose that is absolutely essential for all of us. And that purpose is to remind us of all the ways that God loves us. That we, have to, we have to feel God's love in order to be able to do anything useful. And also that we are his children. I remember a story, um, two little boys, uh, this is in Africa. Their father had died, and then the mother had been taken somewhere. But the stepmother w was just treating them so badly, so they found themselves on the streets. And one day they were having such a hard time. They didn't seem to have anything to eat. So they were talking to themselves, and they said, The Lord is our shepherd. Are we not sheep? <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> And it's, it's amazing. Pretty soon after they said that, uh, someone who knew their father came by and, and took, them, took them home to take care of them. It's amazing. That is wonderful. It is. So sometimes it's good to question ourselves some of these things, uh, some questions. Uh, am I not his child? Is God not here? Does he not love me? I've, I have found questions 
useful. Yeah. Yeah, that's just getting back to the the beautiful basics of the Bible and of science and health. And you know, I this, like oh, I, I just want to say the idea of love because some people don't understand. We talk about pleasing God, and we do please God. We want to please God because we love Him. But remember this. You can be the worst sinner in the world. You can be in, in a jail cell. You can have committed the worst crimes. You can be loaded with drugs. So does that mean that God doesn't love you? No. God loves you. God loves. And you don't have to work and run around and try to be pleasing him by doing things you think will please him, just like you would please another person. You just be what God made you. Listen, be his child. Doesn't matter what your condition is at the moment. When you learn God loves you, then you will learn to love him. And then you will rise out, out of whatever terrible condition that is. And this was a fallacy I struggled with for a long time. I thought I was afraid of God and I had to please him. That's old theology. God is love, Mrs. Eddy says. Love with a capital L. He loves you as you are this very moment. Okay, Karen, was it? Well, I was just going to say that I can't remember what page it is on Science, in Science and Health, but um, where Mrs. Eddy takes that whole psalm and puts love. Yes. Divine love is my shepherd. Love mm-hmm. maketh me to lie down, and et cetera, et cetera. So in the in my book. Thank you. Yes, it's very beautiful. It's the end of one of the chapters. Um, anyway, very very healing. We know how much she loved the psalm as well. This sometimes oh, sometimes I get disconnected. I don't know why, but anyway, <laughs> I don't know what what you heard of me, but anyway, I just love how Mrs. Eddie puts love in that psalm. Yes, thank you. We did hear, I guess, most of that. Craigie? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I felt that the, the starting, the, when I started asking God, instead of just going about myself, and this this prayer was, in my thought, like from when I was growing up, uh, these passages, that turned everything around, and I stopped making as many dumb mistakes, because I was actively turning to God, in, uh, instead of just, you know, going about, as Paul says, <clears throat> you know, doing, you know, doing what you want to do and you, you do, well, trying to do good and you want to do bad. <laughs> right. That's it. But, As a shepherd, then he's a, our guide, our protector, and our cares for us. So all of them, why not? And of course, we learn, too, that he's all-knowing. So what better, <laughs> what better source to turn to? Are you looking for this? Yes. Thank you, Florence. Oh, thank That's you. Right. Yeah. 578. Yeah. Okay, yeah, what what um, Karen was speaking about is on page 578, right before the glossary. Right, right. for 23rd Psalm. 23rd Psalm, yes. Yeah, that's it. He's a source of all good. You know, there's a little book about um, the shepherd view of the 23rd Psalm by that Keller, we've we've quoted him before. He's written the, the book about lass, and anyway, that's a beautiful little book if you don't have it. And it definitely 
tells you deeply because this person, this Mr. I think it's Philip Keller, was a, a shepherd and took care of the sheep. And he explains the beautiful relationship of a shepherd with its sheep, how much the shepherd loves the sheep. It's a beautiful book. I have spoken about it before at roundtables and Bible studies. So anyway, if you don't have it, it's worth getting. So, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, this person says, and I'm, I've been speaking about the one who had his healing that is, he helps us to find food, water, work, love, friends, and all that we need. He protects us from evil. He also gently or firmly prods us when we step out of line and deviate from the way of living set down in the Bible. So, the Lord is my shepherd. That is so wonderful to think of that. A Sunday school child just recently said, I enjoy God's company. Just wow. <laughs> and one. Yeah. Well, and and that you know, and that feeling needs to be cultivated. Yeah. Because all children have that feeling. And if and if we that's why the Sunday school is so important. If they can grow up cultivating that feeling, because you know, so much of society, so much of our secular education kind of quenches that yeah. spirit, doesn't yeah. it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame because that's where, our, that's where we, as, as mankind, get our true guidance. And it's the only place that we get our true guidance. And we should never, ever let anyone or anything take it from us. I think we rather educate educate away from the reliance on God instead of, you know, your own human intelligence and all whatever else is called. Yes. Yeah, because heaven heaven on earth is when we individually and collectively are governed by divine principle not by other people or human theories or any other false beliefs, but governed by divine principle. And this is, you know, and Mrs. Eddie even refers to human government is best when it, when it mimics divine government, right? I mean, that's a paraphrase. But it starts within each one of us. Okay, and then the next is a very powerful statement, of course, I shall not want. Um, this, this guy, his name is Wilson, I think. I shall not want means I will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will have health, money, friends, family, respect, love, and all else. Um, wake, the line sort of wakes me up from the dead and says you can have it all, at least what you need. When you elect to have God run your life. So, yes, what you need when you let God run your life. Not if you don't let God run your life. Right. If you stay away from what I want as opposed <laughs> to what I need. <laughs> yes. And that's why 
Craig's point was so important. It requires humility to rely on God to give you what you need and not be so focused on what you think you want for yourself or for anybody else. Yeah, and you know, always always wanting something is a, is a miserable way to live your life. And of course, that goes with the commandment about thou shalt not covet. You're always wanting something and you think you don't have. Well... You will. It's a guarantee that you will never be happy in that state of thought, because it's a lack of contentment, right? And, uh, yeah. Well, and so many people get what they want, and then they want more, right? And people who keep wanting are never happy. Some of the people who have the most things that they thought they wanted are also the most miserable people. Saw that. And, and it's a shame because it would be very easy for them to become happy. <laughs> All they have to do is to stop wanting. And, and be grateful to God for what they have, for life, truth, and love. And you see, that is why we don't want, ultimately, because he gives us spiritually, he feeds us spiritually with life, truth, love, and in that, we, we also receive all the things we need in this human existence. But it's the spiritual gifts that are important and that we need. And he gives it, everybody has it equally. No one's without it. Just a matter of discovering it and using it, just like those two little boys that Florence spoke of. Mm-hmm. Are we not sheep? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they just got that simple truth, and then and then it was it was experienced in their life. It was made manifest. So remember, you you don't need to want for anything, whether it's health, peace of mind, joy, all good. God gives. Just be aware. And then he maketh me to, to lie down in green pastures. What is that? I kind of thought that was a, a correct sense of rest. Thank you. And also keeps you in your right place, it comes to me. Because this is a vast world. I mean, how do you know where is best for you to be at any particular time? How do you know where is best for you to live and all that? So... The shepherd leads his sheep, tells you know, makes them safe in where they should be. I think that I thought that was a nice thought. Yeah, thank you. Sheep don't lie down until they feel safe. Thank you. Yeah, they won't lie down until they feel safe. And the green pastures. It's just it's a movie called that, right, Craig? We're going to watch that sometime. Green pastures. Mm -hmm. Beautiful movie. Anyway. Yeah, green pastures, something, well, you just get a sense of every every need being supplied, a sense of peace. And, you know, you have to lie down. Not all this fun bouncing around and worried and fearful and running around and um, chasing your tail. 
is shut up and sit down. <laughs> Sometimes that's a good thing. I tell myself that, Mary, shut up and sit down. <laughs> By that, I mean, you know, stop all the fuss and the worry and goofing and all that stuff. Just lie down. Maybe be poised, too, and then you can hear God. Well, that's just it. It's the peace of mind that God gives when we recognize him as our very life. And we, and, and we blossom where we are planted. And it says, too, he maketh. He maketh you to lie down. Okay? He makes you. You have to do it. Nothing is accomplished by looking around. God tells you. <laughs> it reminded me of when my kids were babies. So, you know, sometimes you would actually just have to put them down, put your hands on them. Yeah. <laughs> as well, you <laughs> you know, I, I just heard about something new about these weighted blankets. Yeah. 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 So well, they're supposed to help you sleep, right? Yeah. They can help you. They yeah. calm you. I guess they make you lie down. down. <laughs> lie down again. <laughs> Sit down and be quiet. <laughs> but that make it sometimes it's like you're either gonna do it or keep suffering. So you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna have to do it at some point. Yes. Just so as you keep suffering, well, you know why? Calm, calm down. Calm down. Well, you're afraid you can't really be happy. Yeah, so until you just stop, get rid of the fear, kick it out, and trust God, you're not going to be a happy person. A practitioner told me a long time ago, let God. Mm -hmm. Don't think you're doing anything. Let God. Relax. Let let go and let God. (laughs) Somebody looked up the words let, too. There's a lot of that word in science and health, let. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway. It's a matter of get, yeah, getting yourself out of the way, letting God do it. Get rid of self. It's in the way. And that's humility. Yes. Yeah. The man's in prison. And then he leadeth me beside the clear waters. Besides the clear still waters. Water. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is interpretation. I guess this, excuse mm-hmm. me, the still waters. I think that still is important because I believe sheep are afraid when water is running too, you know, too boisterously. So they like, they feel, you know, the shepherd intentionally seeks water that's more still, you know, calm. Yeah. Thank you. That's what I end. Yeah, that's a beautiful thought. And I, I always thought still water felt like he leads you in a direction of peace. And a promise of peace, because if you we used to have a lake where near where I lived, and when you whenever you go by, if you see the when the lake is nice and still, it sort of talks to you and just promises that all's well. I just thought he was saying something like that, that mm-hmm. you're gonna go forward to peace. Thank you. And you know, when when a still water, your reflection is perfect in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when you reflect God and, and perfect, it's not ruffled and agitated and all of that. It has to be still, and you reflect the Father in, in, in perfect, perfect reflection. Water must be still. 
And so I thought water is essential to life, so he's, he's leading us to what's essential for us. He gives us what's essential. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Water is essential, vital. Thank you. The living waters. And then I can see we're not going to get through all this, but we'll end with he restoreth my soul. Well, you know how you can feel sometimes that you need. And again, this is going through all those layers of angst. He restores your soul. He restores it to what it originally is as, as a child of God. And all, all that false teaching or false things that might have happened to you, it's all over. He restores it. Gives you a renewed sense of life and living. Um, so, our soul. Um, you know, and Mrs. Eddy says, spiritual sense. Yes. It restores our spiritual sense. Thank you. Yep. That same word is used in that Bible verse, isn't it? I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. So, yes. Yeah back to what it should be or what it is mm-hmm. yes yes if you feel anything you've lost anything in your life or time or experience or whatever God restores it all to you everything certainly your health your joy all good things he restores so I would just urge everyone to work with this psalm maybe daily 20, 200 times. This guy said he did it. My Hmm. goodness, that's a lot. But (laughs) it healed him of something that seemed to be unhealable. We have a Bible study, too, on the 23rd psalm, I'm pretty sure. And and I'll link it to the round table. Thank you. We're going to end now. Bicknell Young was a great lover of the synonym of soul, and he speaks beautifully of it. Um, I always think of soul as joy and beauty particularly, and he does too. Maybe that's where I got it from, but um, yes, and he was a musician, as was his wife, and you think of the soulful musician. So anyway, Gary has to get started now. Well, as much as you can of the chalk ones. Yes, thank you. This is from 1937 College. The one who is demonstrating soul will not seek to do it, but the beauty of his soul will be manifested in his surroundings. Soul particularly stands for the things that beautify human experience and make life more enjoyable. Soul is a word that signifies beauty, happiness, harmony, peace, and so on. Soul indicates a higher attainment of science than mind. Mind signifies reasoning faculties. Soul is the spontaneity of knowing without process. Soul is the isness of all. Soul is the substance of all beauty, the principle, the activity, the law of all that is beautiful. It is the impulsion of all true expression. Man is a state of revelation, spontaneously showing forth soul. 
he who believes that he has a soul in his body will have to get rid of that belief. There is nothing to that at all. There is just one spirit, one soul, and that is God. Soul is the divine mind, and it is that particular quality of infinity that expresses itself in infinite beauty and grandeur throughout creation. Soul is all there is to music and the arts. Everything that is beautiful, noble, and grand has its origin in soul, in divine mind. Soul is the spontaneous nature of man, the epitome of natural knowing. Soul is true inspiration. As you advance in the science of soul, you will see beauty where you never saw it before. A Christian scientist attains his dominion in the proportion that he seeks not the image and likeness, but the original. In that original, which is in principle, spirit, soul, resides and shines in full effulgence all comeliness, originality, receptivity, beauty, and joy. The fact is, you cannot demonstrate the kingdom of heaven unless you demonstrate beauty and joy in everything. There is not an ugly thing in heaven. Not one idea could ever show forth anything less than infinite soul, which means infinite beauty and joy. You will never come into an experience where we cannot see and appreciate beauty, where we will appreciate by thinking a spiritual sense and not have any evidence of that fact. The fact is that the evidence is to accumulate and be more desirable and abiding than it is at present, because the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of beauty. Be sure that the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of beauty. We need not think we can ignore the beauty of what we call the material world. The beauty is not material. We associate matter with beauty, but the beauty is eternal. And that eternality will appear in the measure that we cease to associate matter and personality with that beauty. These characteristics are not mere qualities, but they belong to being. They belong to man. They are soul. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.